Things are neither good nor bad until you assign meaning to them. Welcome to Decision Point, a podcast about overcoming adversity in sales and the growth that we experience in the process. I'm Brad Siemens. On this episode of Decision Point, Brad continues his conversation with Nigel Green. This will be part two of the interview with Nigel Green. If you happen to miss part one, head on over to monsterconnect.com slash podcast to catch part one, and then come back right here to part two to hear the rest of the conversation. Uh, that say, you know, in my experience, I mean, that's what you want to hear as a leader, right? You want somebody to come to you and say, hey, look, we've had this situation. I want to make you aware about it. Here's how we're going to address it. Here's, you know, I've already put a plan together on how we're going to solve it. And then you're basically, you know, you're supporting and reacting to to the situation versus having, you know, versus as a leader, having to come up with that solution yourself, right? Yeah. I mean, it, I say this in, in my coaching work all the time. Like Your boss, they've already got monkeys on their back. You can't take the monkeys on your back and go put them on their back. You you, you, you got to deal with the monkeys on your back, man. That, and that you signed up for well, it. There's this hilarious, um, I guess it's a, how does it, it's like a TikTok. So it's basically two dogs. And in this scenario, it's, it's one dog is the wife. It says wife on the other dog says husband. And there's a, like a Roby, one of those little robots and it hits the wife and the husband's just, the dog is just chilling there. And all of a sudden the wife barks at the husband. It's really funny, but that's the same thing in sales. Like you, you can't, the purpose of the meme was like, you can't make your problem somebody else's problem. Yeah, right? you can't. And, um, and that same thing with sales, sales leader is it's easy to put or anything in life, right? You got problems. Other people got problems. You got to deal. You can't be made. You got to, you got to deal with them. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I love, I love this. I love the, I, I love the farming analogies. I love um, the fact that you're focused in this space, I think it's it's so key, particularly as a as a growing company, and you start to build out management levels, and you start looking at um, you know adding VP of sales, sales leadership. I mean, I, I feel like it's a little it's a little bit of a black box. So I love that you're starting to like break it down and focus on it because I definitely think it's an area that doesn't get has not historically gotten a lot of attention. What's the biggest surprise? that you've had being in this space? Like what's the one thing that sort of happened that you were like, Oh, I, I didn't really expect that. I think the, the sales leader and then the management team's inability to use the data to make more informed decisions. So if you think about even just, I mean, my goodness, Brad, I can't think of a time when we, when I didn't have salesforce.com as a CRM in my selling career. So take it all the way back to 2007. There was, there were CRMs and there was reporting capabilities now, but even then, like I had to do a lot of exports, right? So it wasn't perfect. Like I'd have to export the data to Excel and do a pivot table or do a V lookup to, to compare two disparate systems. So you had to know like how to get the data the way you wanted it to. Now, it is done for you. Like you, like the way they built out these tech stacks, you can you can manipulate the data any way you want. But what surprises me is how unclear the leaders are on the what I call like the economics, the fundamentals of what's driving their business to know how to intervene. They just get so bogged down in the copious amounts of data that they don't know what's really important. And, and that surprises me because it, 
you would think with more data, the answers would be easier, but it seems like they're more complex and nuanced. Do you think we're tracking too much stuff? Absolutely. In a lot of instances, we are tracking too much stuff. And in other instances, Brad, I think we are confusing causation and correlation. Just because there's a correlation in the data, we jump to a conclusion that that, that this piece of data caused that piece of data. I know. Get get on LinkedIn. I mean, I just I, I get on LinkedIn. There's all these people throwing out all these stats. Right. And you're just like, that's not. Like somebody's got to take a stat class here because that's not how you calculate that. Okay, bingo. That's it. So I sit in a lot of meetings and I hear these sales leaders just throwing out stats. And I'm like, yeah, but is that true really? And how do you know? And so that, that's what I talk about, the truth, the fundamentals. They're throwing out all these statistics, but there's, there's no deeper level dive to show me the trail. Okay, so good sales leaders can say, all right, Nigel, watch this. This call, we're going to listen to the recording this customer, and they follow it all the way through. So if they've got a statistic that they're going to throw at me, they're going to bring with it, they're going to show me the trail and say it's actually causation, it's not correlation. They're going to bring examples. And that's where I think a lot of a lot of companies, are. they just look at the data. They look at it on, on this dashboard and like, oh, well, calls are, calls are down. Well, um, we must, we got to go... <laughs> We got to go buy more leads. We got to go get more. What's going on? I'm like, no, knucklehead. Has anybody called the number? Has anybody tried to see what's going on? Right. And then it's like, oh, the, the bridge is off. Or we've got some piece of technology that calls aren't down. There's this disconnect. You, know, you, you live in this world. Yep. Yep. No, no, for no, for sure. Well, I, you know, I'm still laughing about the stats thing and like the causation piece, because when I get literally when I, I have to, I don't stats minor. And when I got when I get on there and I see people coming up with these statistics and not using like good statistical theories and stuff drives me freaking crazy. I'm like, that's not true. That's not true. That, that, that can't be true. You know, like you just read these stats and you're like, that's not what that means. Like somebody didn't do that. right. Like you're not doing that. You're not doing that right. You know, they just make stuff up. And I think the polls have made it worse. I actually like polls. I know a lot of people don't like the LinkedIn polls. But I feel like that's created everybody so their own individual statistician on LinkedIn. Oh yeah, absolutely, yeah. You know, and they wheeled out these. They um. So so I want to ask you. So why why we're talking about these stats? I want to ask you this because I think I think this is important as we look out as sales leaders into the future. Um, I saw a statistic yesterday where basically uh, the poll was, "Hey, the B two B salespeople need to learn more about B two C." How many of you guys um, would want a demo on the first phone call? And then the stats come in on, and it actually was not what I think the guy thought it was going to be because basically most of the people said that they would appreciate a discovery phone call first before, before a demo. Uh, I don't think that was what he was. I don't know. I don't think that was what he was expecting. So my question is this, how do you think sales is going to be impacted in the future? I mean, do you think we're going to see um, like Netflix style buying? for huge consulting and um, infrastructure projects? Are you, do you think that is, that's going to get replaced? Do I think more of like the direct-to-consumer, con, like self-onboarding option is going to replace the what, what has been the high-touch sophisticated? No, I don't. Yes. Mm-hmm. No. And, and here's why. Netflix 
still only costs fifteen dollars a month. Yeah, and you're not getting fired by your your wife's not firing you. Nobody's getting fired over fifteen bucks, right? Yeah. You want to work with me? <laughs> it's it's a minimum ten thousand dollars to work with me. Okay. If I were to put a buy now button on my website and then you got to the cart and it was ten thousand dollars, what do you think my cart abandon rate would be? Your your abandon rate would be off off the chart. Bingo. Because there are so many questions about a $10,000 price tag that I need to address. And I can write the, the greatest long form sales copy with an FAQ and I can put in some videos and I can have some testimony. I can put Colin's face on there. $10,000 is a lot of money. It ain't, it ain't, and, and that's like, that, and that's the tip of the iceberg, right? I mean, when you talk about what I'm doing and, and consultation and the bigger, big consulting engagements, where you could be spending hundreds of thousands of dollars to a million dollars, depending on the length of the agreement. No, no way. No way. So Jen Allen works for the Challenger sale. I'm yeah. sure you read the, the, the Challenger I know sales Jen. book. Everybody's CEP. And uh, so Jen's great. Had her on. Loved having her on. We had an awesome conversation. But she said the table is getting larger, not smaller. More people are getting involved in the B2B sales process for million-dollar sales, not less. And I think that's an indicator that, that it's going to get more complicated to make purchases, not less complicated. Now, whether it should be that way or not, I just don't see an on, I don't see some onslaught of Netflix B2B buying and purchasing behavior for these big ticket prices. I don't see it. I think it's too, too complicated. Yeah, I don't think it's going to happen. Okay, interesting. I like, I just like, I like being out talking about, hey, what's the future look like? You know, what's the future of sales? You know, I know there's a lot of things, I think, in, uh, the B2B space that are under attack fairly and unfairly, right, rightfully and wrong. And, and uh, I don't know, wrongfully is not a word, but we're going to go with it. Well, I'll say this about the future. I, I think the future looks a lot more like the past. Okay. And, and what I mean by that is not the, um, not the now. Okay. The future won't look like the now. Cause I, I think now being in the last three to five years, and, and in some instances, it, the B2B seller has earned it. It's become spammy. It's become a volume approach. It's become spray and pray. The past, I, when I talk about the past, Brad, I, I go back to like books like this, the new six, new, I, I use the word new successful large account management. This book was written in 1994. I find myself looking at this book and some other great 1990s book like niche selling, uh, solution selling, strategic selling. Some of these books from the late 90s are, are, are coming back into play. And, and here's why they are so important. It, a lot of the 90s was about helping your customers make sense of a quickly changing world. So in the 90s, it was really, it was like web 2.0. That was when like this whole notion of the internet and the digital reputation, a digital landscape, like your customers were having a hard time making sense of that. Well, it, it was almost like a black swan event, the, the, the size and scale of companies that could now do commerce online. I mean, commerce, email, I mean, you had web, you yeah, had websites, you had email, you had CRM. Yeah, all, boom, all this technology. And so they're like, sellers had to help customers make sense of it. Well, now, like coming out of this, like, and I know we're still very much in it, but I, I'm going to 
we're talking about the future, this post-COVID world, I think you're going to see, and Jen's right, I'm seeing the same thing with more and more seats being occupied at the decision-making table. Sellers are going to have to help customers make sense of this new world. And so it's not technology that's the new world. It's uh, new values in the marketplace. I mean, employees fundamentally don't want what they have historically wanted. Otherwise, 4.5 million people wouldn't have quit their job in November. Uh, you know, currency, uh, risk, like there's all this stuff that is, is all like related to COVID. I mean, there's the devaluation of the U.S. dollar. There is the the fact that there's never been more investment money ready to deploy into an acquisition or, or do a deal. I mean, there's more people wanting to buy a company now than there ever has been in the history of time. They can't find a deal because the valuations are crazy. Add to that, we're getting ready to see the largest transfer of wealth that we've ever seen in our generation, trillions of dollars of business value in businesses created by baby boomers that don't have a succession plan. They don't have an exit strategy. And so there's like, there's all of this that's coming to a head and sellers have to understand that your customer's world is so much bigger than, Hey, you want to buy this? Do you think that's natural human instinct to, to, to be, to, to have that position? Do you want to buy this? <laughs> yeah, it is. I think it's natural. Yeah, I do. Oh, shoot. Well, you know, I find myself like, and I, Jim and I had a lot of those conversations. Like, you know, when I think about what I am naturally very inquisitive. So like I'm the, like when my kids have their friends over, I, I, and I can, I can tell on their faces that they're like, oh my gosh, can you guys just stop your dad? Like he is asking me so many questions. I'm, I like, did not realize that I, I feel like, uh, oh, what is that? Who, who is that? Uh, who's Fokker's dad where he's asking all those questions in the, in the uh, Ben Stiller in the movie when, uh, who's the actor? I don't know. Oh man. You know, in uh, where he's the FBI agent and they got the cat. Kelsey, you have to cut all this. Yeah. It's, um, it's not Pacino. Who's I know what you're talking about. Anyways. It's not, it's no, it's D Dustin Hoffman is the, is the Dustin Hoffman. Yeah. You know what Dustin Hoffman's like asking Fokker all the questions. He's asking the, uh, Ben Stiller, all no, the questions. No, it's Robert De Niro. Robert, oh, Robert De, Niro De Niro is the one that's asking all yes, the yes, questions. Yes, yes, yes. It's Robert De Niro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So a lot. So yeah. So my kids are like, Dad, just stop. Um, you know, like I just ask and ask questions and, and probe and ask and ask and ask. And uh, I know I wear out my kids and I wear out their friends and I may wear out the clients. I don't know. Um, but um, but I don't know how you can sell without asking questions. You know, like I just it doesn't. And and you can't be antagonized. I think you got to be really careful in questions. Like I'm a. I follow Josh Braun, who I absolutely love. And I had a dad that was a, a marriage family counselor and we did active listening. And I didn't realize I was getting sales training growing up, but I know he would, uh, he put me in what I would refer to like the, the, it would be like the equivalent of a pain funnel, but it was like a personal pain funnel. You know, like he's like interrogating you and he's like trying to, he's like trying to active listen to you. So he's like, He's like, so what I hear you saying, and I'm like, yeah, I just said that, you know. So you got to be careful. So, so what your dad's doing, and it's funny. I want you to go back and talk to your dad. I go over this very lightly in the Harvest Principle of Revenue Harvest. It's it's actually a clinical technique called motivational interviewing. And I think if you want to master selling in the future, you need to go take a course on motivational interviewing. It started out. This is a clinical technique that. Clinicians, whether it be a therapist like your dad or a primary care provider, 
it, it began with diabetes and, and disease states that were largely behavior driven. It's now widely adopted in addiction treatment in the mental health space. And the fundamental of motivational interviewing, and this is it. If you hear one thing, it's this. Any motivation that you have to change is stronger than any motivation that I can give you to change. So if I'm a seller, any motivation that my prospect has to buy, any motivation that might exist is going to be so much stronger than any reason I could give them. So instead of me telling them why they need it, I need to say, why would you do it? So I'm hearing you say that this is, and so to give you an example in the clinical world, so I worked in the addiction space for a while and we would, we had a call center and folks would call in and we used to just treat everyone as if they were like, if they'd come to terms with the fact that they were an alcoholic or an addict, but we quickly learned by listening to the calls that that's not everyone. So we would hear, hear callers say, Oh, I'm, I'm not an alcoholic. If, if I don't go to treatment, I'm going to lose my job or my wife's making me do this. And so a seller in that situation would be like, Oh yeah, you are not, you, you need this, you need this. But, but we would take a step back and say, why do you care what your wife well, thinks? Or, if we could help you save your marriage, is that something you're interested in? Or if you could keep your job and we could help you, would that be useful to you? And the answer is, yeah, I, I want to keep my job. Or, yeah, I want to keep my house. And, yeah, I want to stay married. Yeah. And so yeah. like that, they're motivated to keep their marriage. They're motivated. So we taught our sales team motivational interviewing. Okay. So Brad's not an alcoholic. Brad's got, Brad does not have an alcohol problem. He has, I'm going to lose my job problem. So we're going to fix that problem. Yeah. Well, I did. So, so I was, what I was getting at is like, I learned these things from my dad and I didn't realize that like when, when I listen, so Josh Braun talks a lot about, I'm just like rocking these names today. Chris Voss losing. I mean, I don't know if it's cause it's late in the day. I've had a little coffee. I got some brain fog, but, um, but yeah, so Chris Voss, when I when I read his book on negotiation, I'm like, oh, this is like growing up in my house. Like I learned all these, I learned all these skills that I didn't realize that I like it was probably some of the best sales lessons that I could learn. I learned like how to talk to people, how to listen, how to, you know, basically how to repeat back to you what you said. And then if I'm wrong, you just correct me. Right. You're like, oh no, 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 that's not why we're buying that. Or no, 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 that's not why we're doing that. So hey, I heard you say. X, you know, hey, I heard you say this is a financial decision. No, 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 this isn't a financial decision. This is a, you know, now I know, right? I didn't know. I didn't know. Now I know. Um, so like I learned all these little sales techniques that I didn't realize I was, I was getting sales schooled. I just thought I, now it did, it did get a little bit like annoying when you felt like you were being like the motivations were, were not pure. So I, that definitely was not fun, but <laughs> if you felt like you were being worked well, by the yeah, you know, oh, like when you get a when you get a sales bad. when you get a especially oh, yeah. like if you get yeah. a sales. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely have had situations where it's like, well, Nigel, I heard you say that you really have you really want this, and you're and I'm like, yeah, buddy, you heard me say that. Yeah, that's exactly right. You got to be so careful yeah. with questions because, like, if you're not careful, yeah. you can start antagonizing people. Like, I think it just comes down to like empathy. Like, you can't teach somebody to care. And that's one of the things that like, if you take somebody like a young rep, you put them in Sandler sales training and they come out and they're just asking a ton of questions, it does a lot of damage because, you know, in order to, to ask good questions, you have to really care about the answer and you can't, and you can use questions to really beat people up and make them feel like crap. 
if you're not if you're not careful. Well, and the other thing too is is and you're right about is it's practice in the same way that we're going to go through the Sandler training. Uh, questions don't have to start with who, what, where, when, mm-hmm. why, or how. Questions can be in the intonation or the way in which I just say something. So you could say like the customer, instead of saying, I heard you say, is that true? Right. And Chris Voss talks about that. Yeah. You could just repeat the last three There's words. They said, said, and look at them. Yeah. You could just say, you want more customers. And then they, they're just going to go right back the way the brain works. And they're going to talk more about why they want more customers. And so it, there's, there's an element of like practice and craftsmanship to it. Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. Well, man, this is so great. I loved, I love talking to you. This was a wonderful, wonderful interview. Anything else you want to highlight before we, before we hop off? Oh man, no, I'm good. Thank you for having me on. It's been a pleasure to, to riff with you for an hour. Yeah, man. I love, I, I love it. I, this has been great. So thanks so much. All right. Thank you, Brad. So I hope you guys enjoyed that. As always, uh, if you want more information on the podcast, go to monsterconnect.com forward slash podcast. Uh, You can get last season's, uh, last year's episodes. You can get all the new episodes for this year. And as always, remember, don't let what you can't do interfere with what you can. Until next time.